So, well, how many have watched the Olympics? Yeah? And uh, going for the gold, you know? Had that whole thing, going for the gold. Seems like uh, you, you just, one after another, the racers and, and things like that. So I started looking up maybe a little history on it. Now, in the scriptures that we talk about today, they had games. They weren't the Olympics, but they had games in ancient times. And Paul uh, writes about the games in which people would run a race and they would do it to win a wreath of um, put together of vines and so on that they would put on their heads and they were crowned with that wreath that, peri- that would eventually perish and go away. Well, Paul writes about that and gives an analogy of it. So if Paul can do it, <clears throat> so can I. <laughs> so the first Olympics that we have, modern Olympics, was in 1896 and there were nine events. Of course, they were the Summer Olympics. And then, of course, the next Summer Olympics are in 2016 in Rio, Brazil. And there are 28 events in that Olympics. The Winter Olympics, how many events do you think there are in the uh, Winter Olympics? How many events? Any idea? Lots. (laughs) 98. 98 events in 15 winter sports. So there are 15 winter sports, there's 98 events, and 12 are gender-related, just for ladies and just for men. And they said that the Sochi, Sochi Olympics cost between 50 and $51 billion. Most, most expensive Olympic Games ever put on. So then the cost then, now that's just for building the city and building the arenas and building all the things to be able to house the um, Olympics, uh, being able to build those bobsled runs and everything. Those are all refrigerated, by the way. You know, the bobsled runs? Those are all refrigerated. It's like an outdoor refrigerator to keep the ice and things up on the uh, slopes and so on. So you put together the $51 billion, And then you think about each nation and how that they have to train their participants. Uh, Rhonda's cousin's son, how about that? Cousin's son (laughs) and his wife worked at the Olympic Training Center in uh, Colorado Springs. And we happened to be there a few years ago and were able to go into the training facility for the the Summer Olympics, what they use for training there. And... um, it was quite interesting, the gymnasiums and all the things they have in place and how that they, you know, the, the big cushions, you know. Like when they go up and do all those flips and so on and come down on the snow, they don't start out that way. <laughs> they start out with the flips landing in water or landing in big rubber cushions that, you know, you go up there and you fall into them and it's, you know, just like uh, falling into a big... Styrofoam, not styrofoam, but foam mattress, but it's about 10 feet deep. <laughs> they have all these uh, things that you fall into. Well, so you have the cost then of building the facilities. How many, how many individuals are responsible for training these, these Olympians? And how much do you, you know, providing for the Olympians so that they can compete? And this all goes on for four years so that they can come together for this short period of time to put together a gold medal count. (laughs) And the great thing is, behind 
the dollars and behind the publicity and behind the hype and behind the nations and you know all the stuff of people pushing and vying for who is the the greatest in nation and who can put together the best athlete behind all of that are individuals and one of the individuals uh, that was brought up during this week was Alex Bodine Biodine it's uh, B-I-L-O-D-E-A-N. He's a freestyle uh, skier, and he does the half pipe. And I wanted to, to uh, see this little interview that went on for him. So at the very beginning, there he is with his brother, and his brother is a mentally challenged, physically challenged individual, and he says that his brother is his inspiration. And then you have the last thing he said, the final race is the most important. Okay, you got to put it together. You spend four years of getting up and getting out and doing the work, doing the, you know, working out and... <laughs> planning and your own, you know, because you can't spend four years on the snow <laughs> unless you go to South America. And when our son was racing, there were a number of kids that would go to South America <laughs> during the winter time, or they would go glacier skiing up in Canada uh, in the summertime in order to get the head start on uh, being able to be ready for the fall uh, for the winter and for the training and for the skiing events that were coming because you have only a certain period of time to put together two runs, two races, you know, put three races together, which are two runs, complete them, and then beat everybody else and have enough points or low enough points to be able to go to the Junior Olympics. And then from there you went on to New Hampshire and Vermont and Lake Placid and all those places to compete against the uh, northern skiers, and they called our area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, the banana belt, <laughs> because, you know, we were the southern part of the skiing um, franchise, the skiing market, and you would ski against uh, individuals who were living on the mountains and in camps. They went there, 
and stayed all summer, went this all winter, and did the skiing camps, traveled to different races and different mountains all over New England, and then they would qualify, the banana belt would qualify, and you'd go up to one of these places and, you know, have your race. And, of course, the eastern skiers were never any good compared to the western skiers, and there was just all this competition going on, and then the United States skiers were never as good as the European skiers. Hmm, the human race. <laughs> if we do that in the human race, the human race is us, and we compete against each other as to who is superior. You ever, do you ever wonder about that, the human race? Why is it that we look at our life and we see it as a race? It's a race to the finish. It's the rat race <laughs> that we are involved in. And uh, David, Michael ha- David Michael Jackson has a Chuck E. Cheese, you know. I said, well, we're going to go see the rat. And uh, <laughs> he said, what the rat, you know. But uh, he has this little Chuck E. Cheese he goes and sees. He's very excited about that and going there. But we see that we are involved in this race. And Paul uses this whole idea of a race in his writings. And the first scripture that I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And beginning at verse 24, he says, You've all been to the stadium and see the athletes race. So it was very, it was very common for there to be races at that time period and which they would all go to the Colosseums and the Roman Colosseums. They would use them for many different events, some for racing, some for feeding Christians to the lions later on. Uh, But they would all go to the Colosseum, and they were all very aware of the race and the athletes and how that they would um, compete against each other, and, and village and town would compete against other villages and town, and they would send their best athletes to the race. And Paul begins by saying, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletic race. Everyone runs, one wins. (laughs) How many thousands of people did you watch the opening night of the Olympics? How many thousands of competitors come there? And there are only 98 gold medals, from what I could figure out. There are 98 gold medals to be divided amongst all of those thousands of competitors. Only one is going to win. Only one is going to win their event. And all good athletes then, he says, train hard. And they do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternal. So he began to tell the people, begin to have the people understand that that the race that we are in in our faith is a very important race. Everybody runs the race, but only one wins. Now, we think about that and we say, well, if we're all in the race to get to heaven and only one of us gets in, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, but that's not what he means. That in the athletic arena, you compete and you compete and you have one winner. Super Bowl, <laughs> football. One winner. Um, We run and we compete. In our life, we are competing. We are in a race for our life, for our souls, and we want to reach heaven, and we each one win. So I don't know about you, Paul says in verse 26 and 27. He, um, 
He says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard. So Paul says that this race that I'm involved in is one that is difficult. It's a hard race. (laughs) It's a hard race. It's a difficult race. Anybody ever find difficulties in life? (laughs) Anything, anytime life been a little hard for you? It's a hard race. Why? Because we're in a human race. (laughs) And we are competing against, you know, all the things, you know, we're looking at our society and we're competing against our society and competing against our neighbors and competing against people at work and at home and, uh, you know, all these, there's this competition mode that's out there. You know, there are some people who don't compete (laughs) and they just kind of sit by the sidelines and complain. (laughs) The non-competers are the, I think, the complainers because they got cheated out of their life. They got cheated out of things. And, And, you know, sometimes people just get very frustrated in the race and they withdraw. Sometimes the race is just so overwhelming They can't handle it anymore, and they back off. There are many reasons why people drop out of the race, and not uh, being critical of that, just that, but for the grace of God, that could happen to us. And so you see that there are many avenues that come at our life and many avenues that approach our life, and Paul says that he likens it to a race. And... uh, You see, David here is in his race. Bob, you can take your pick. Bob is in his race. Cliff is in his race. You can use your name and say, you're in a race. That we are each in our own race. Race of life. And here we are, and, and there is a prize. There is a prize for our race that is greater than gold. It's called eternal life, and the eternal life that we receive, we're going to walk on streets of gold. But we've got to get there first, so we've got to run this race. Now, let's get, the, let's get some of the ground rules in place here as we begin or as we look at this race. Paul says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I want my life to finish. I want to finish the course. I want to, I want to reach the end. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. <laughs> you know, there's no... You, you, you read uh, about um, lifters and runners and everything, what they eat and how they eat and all this type of thing. And, the, you know, the discipline that they go through, the, the, the um, exercise programs, the amount of running that they do and how they run. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an ongoing, everyday thing. You know, people who play football, you'd say, well, the football season's over. But the great athletes in those professions are never over. They're never up. The season never ends. They take a break. They take a week off. <clears throat> but when it's over, they, you know, when the week is up, they start in again preparing for the next season. So there's no sloppy living, Paul says. I'm staying alert and in top condition. The spiritual life is a race. And the spiritual top condition is that we need to be reading our Bible. We need to pray. We need to be in church. 
We need to be part of the body of Christ. We need to participate in it. We need to be in top condition so that we don't fail in reaching the finish line. You see, I'm not going to get caught napping, Paul says, telling everyone else all about getting into heaven and missing out myself. I'm not going to condition other people and then find myself slacking off. So in this section, Paul talks about we've all been to the stadium. We all know what happens in a race. Now I want you to take into consideration your life and your race of faith. Then Paul continues to the church at Galatians. At Galatia, and it's chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. He says to the Galatians, you were running superbly. Who cut in on you? (laughs) Who cut you off? You ever, I didn't watch it this year, but when uh, they did the speed track, you know, that oval, and they have these racers running, you know, and, and there's like five or six of them in there. They're not five or six, eight, I think there are. And they're, they're going around the track, and they're going fast, and they're always trying to cut each other off. And when somebody cuts one off, you can see them all fly and go out and crash into the side. And you know, I was like, who cut you off? Well, here Paul is saying that you're running the race, and somebody stepped in front of you. Something stepped in front of you. Who cut you off? You were running so well. Who cut you off? Deflecting you from the true course of obedience. Hmm. In our obedience to God, sometimes we get cut off. (laughs) Someone cut you off, deflecting you from the true course. (laughs) That in our life, we have somebody, the evil one, not necessarily people, but evil wants to cut you off, cut in on you. Racing, that's all those, those guys in racetrack, you know, they always, they always turn to the left. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're always to the left, you know. Those, those racers are always to the left. They're going around a track, and it's always to the left. You know, I like the, the, some of those advertisements, and they have a guy who's a racer pulls up to the stop sign, he goes left, and he goes up to the next stop sign, he goes left, you know. <laughs> he doesn't know anything but left, you know, and they're making, you know, making fun of it. But, you know, and then you have these racers, and they, they draft, you know. They get behind the car, and the car in front is opening up the wind so that the car behind it can push, you know, get there, and suddenly pump on the gas, push on the gas, and take them around. They can, they can um, what's it called when you're in the last one in the, the, the line? Slingshot. They can slingshot themselves around and cut the other person off. Well, deflecting you from the true course, Paul talks about that. This detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. When something in your life cuts you off, don't think God is the author of it. Don't blame God for being cut off in your life, in the pursuit, in your, in your you know, doing things. I know, cheering. Now that is a lot of practice. Cheering, I, I never knew that competitive cheering. You know, Jack went to a basketball game. We took Jack to the basketball game Friday night. And he was kind of scared at all the yelling because he's used to going to cheering contests. 
you know, <laughs> he goes with his mom and his sister, and they go to cheering contests. I still haven't got the idea that you travel five and six hours for a minute and a half. It just doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> you go there, and it's, you travel six hours down to Washington or Florida they go to for these contests, and you're out there, and you perform for a minute and a half. I drove 14 hours, 1,000 miles to watch somebody perform for a minute and a half. <laughs> Two minutes, you know? Maybe three. Okay, there we go. Three minutes. You got a three-minute routine. Well, Paul is saying here something happened. Somebody got, you know, in the routines, there are so many things going on at the same time. You've got to be watching everything because the team is working together. The body of Christ, you and I, there's a lot of things going on in each of our lives. And during that whole process, we see that in our own lives, something can cut us off. And it doesn't come from God, this cut off. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. Don't say, you know what, they cut me off, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell the uh, ski racer, I mean, this, this had to be the most disheartening ski race that I ever remember. It was at the Olympics. I wasn't there, but of course. But the guy is standing in the gate, you know. They've got that little wand in front of his, of, of his boots. And you know how they put the poles out front. And you've got, they say it's time to go. And you've got like five, six seconds to make up your mind to get out of the gate. Well, whenever they planter poles, they kind of rise up and shoot themselves out, and the guy rose up and shot himself out, and his boot become disengaged from his ski, and he fell. Four years of training are gone because the boot become, became dislodged from the ski, the binding. You know, it's almost impossible for that to happen. When on the skis, they have what they call a din setting. My din setting was four, six, kind of like an advanced skier. David Michaels was 14. <laughs> His din setting was 12 and 14. That was for racing. And do you know that at 12 and 14, his ski was still come off of his boot. How much pressure, how much force is there? And you tell me that in this race that we are, please don't toss this off as insignificant. Can you imagine coming down the hill in those downhill races? I, I still picture, I'm, I'm taking a picture of David. I'm filming him at the bottom. I'm waiting for him to come around, and my camera's going like this. It wasn't because I was cold. It wasn't because I was... Uh, well, it was because I was nervous. Is he going to come? He should be coming soon. I've got to, you know, and my hands are shaking because here he's coming down the hill at 60, 80 miles an hour in the downhill. And, um, and one time I was stupid enough to ask, I said, David, what's it like to fall in the downhill? His response was, he said, well, did you ever think of jumping out of a car at 60 miles an hour? Did you ever think of jumping out of a car at 60 miles an hour? Well, these individuals that you see fall 
in the racing. That's what's going on. Even in the slalom, the giant slalom and the downhill, downhill is about 80 miles an hour. Do you ever think of jumping out of a car at 80 miles an hour with a suit on that has no resistance? <laughs> it's not going to slow you down. It's, in fact, it's going to speed you up. Well, when you are caught off, cut off, in, interrupted in your course, something, you catch a tip, spins you around. You hit a rut, it falls over. Something's going to come into your life and cut you off. No race is going to be perfect. No one race, two, two runs make one race. No race is going to be perfect. You are going to be cut off. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. When you are doing your race and it fails, it's not an insignificant loss. It is important to you, therefore it is important. And it only takes a minute, excuse me, and only takes a minute amount of yeast to permeate an entire loaf of bread. He jumps from the racing illustration to the baking illustration and said, when you put a little yeast in the, in the dough, what happens? The whole thing blows up. I don't, you know, I never understood that. As a kid, mom would make bread, and she would put it in this big pan, and she had this little bit of bread there in the middle of the pan. She would cover it up with her special blanket, <laughs> her special cloth, and you would come back, and that thing would be blowing up over the edges. It's like, what happened? That must be some cloth, <laughs> you know? I didn't realize it was something in the yeast, the yeast in the bread. And come up and she'd push it down, you know, and put the cloth over it again. Whoa, that's a magic cloth. You can tell I've been sleeping under one. <laughs> it's a magic cloth. That's what's wrong. We got to change that blanket that I've been using, you know. <laughs> you know, if I get out from under that blanket, I won't be so big, you know. You just don't get these type of sermons anywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else understands that cloth that covers up the yeast, all right? Well, Paul goes on and says, a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate the entire loaf. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect. The Galatians were having problems in their faith. They were running the race superbly. Somebody cut them off. And he says, deep down inside, I know God is going to keep you on course. Don't give up because somebody cut you off. Don't quit because you got cut off in your race. But the one who is upsetting you, whoever it is, will bear the divine judgment. When somebody intentionally tries to take you off course, take you out, don't be caught up with them. Be caught up with the finish line. Continue your race. Let them stand before God for their actions. Hebrews chapter 12. Did I miss one? Pardon? The first one. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Aha. Jackson was eating on our table. <laughs> and there was jelly on the table. And my notes were on the jelly. 
and the jelly caused them to stick together. And so page one and page three stuck together, and it's, and it's missing. Don't let anybody get you off course. <laughs> Not even jelly. Do you see how things can interrupt? <laughs> Do you see how life can take its ins and outs and pages can be stuck together, and you miss the entire sermon? I was wondering where this text was. <laughs> it was stuck to the backside of another one. So in Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, the master of the sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need a human race to run errands for him. The God who made us spoke us into existence and he doesn't want us to run errands for him. We are not in the race so that we can make God happy. We are in the race because God wants to bless us with the effort and with how, how that God can make a difference in our life. And that's what this whole is all about. He makes his creatures. The creatures don't make him. What we do is not to make God happy. All right? If I lose, God isn't happy, and he punishes me. <laughs> That's not it. That's not it at all. We are in a race because God has a way of blessing us in the race, and as we saw in these other scriptures, that sometimes things are going to happen to cut us off. Sometimes things are going to happen to us and we're not going to, seemingly not going to make the finish line. But that's not the problem. The problem is not falling down. The problem is getting up. That we've got to finish the race. We've got to finish the race. And because we fall down on one run doesn't mean the race is over. Because we make a mistake doesn't mean it's over. It means that we have to learn from these things and go on. You see, we are part of the human race. God made us, and he made the place we're in hospitable. We can live here. And he says, with plenty of time and space to live so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but that we might find him. We are in a race where the course is set, the lights are on, we can see where we're going and that we're not groping. What does God really want? He wants us to love him and love others. In the Sunday school lesson, we talked about the power of speech. What do we create with our words? What are we creating with our words and our attitudes? So as we are in this race and when somebody cuts us off, there are a few choice words that we could say about this incident <laughs> and this situation. But the choice words that God wants us to have are the words that we will finish, we will make a difference, and God will give us the crown, crown of righteousness when we reach heaven. And we will walk on the streets of gold, not just wear one around our neck. So you see, there is something before us. God is not remote. He is near us. We live and move in Him. We can't get away from Him. One of your poets, he says, we are, we're the God created. So we walk around with our song in our head, you know. 
I, I like how the athletes, I used that page already. Uh, we, I like how the, the athletes, they put their earplugs in, and sometimes it's not only earplugs for athletes, it's kids walking people, doesn't have to be kids, walking down the street and they got the earplugs in and you talk to them. And, and there are people riding their bikes and doing everything that are in training and they listen to certain songs. It's in their head. The song that should be in our head. We are created. God has a path, plan, purpose for us. We may get cut off. We may fall down. We may whatever, but we're going to get back up and we're going to run again. The gold medal that was won for the um, slalom was an 18-year-old. And it was kind of ironic. The oldest woman, the oldest woman in this race was in first place. And the youngest woman from the U.S. was going to run, was going to race. She was 18. And coming down the race course, if you saw the race, she flies up in the air and one ski is here and one ski's up above, up here. She had gotten off, but she come right back on and finished the race and won. The youngest person in the race, 18, was in first place. The oldest, the oldest woman in the race, 35, was in second place. You see, it isn't about our age. It's about what we have in our head and in our heart. And how many times did that 35-year-old fail? How many times did she fail? You know, I, I can still see David at times, you know, coming off the hill and there Seven Springs and there was a second tier. And I saw him do some things on skis that you just would never imagine. I mean, he, was, he didn't finish the race. He was over flipping flips, you know. <laughs> you know, his tip got caught in a gate, you know, those poles. One went on the inside and one went straight. <laughs> and they turn you around and you're going backwards down a hill. And then you're on the back of your head tumbling over and about two or three times and he ends up on his skis and goes down and finishes. It's like people thought he was dead. <laughs> you know, I thought he was hurt. Got to carry him off. Oh, my gosh. And he's skiing away. Why do I do this? We're in a race. How many times did you fall down? How many times do we have to fall? The one coach that I never remember, I never forget this, he always said, how many miles are under your skis? How many miles are under your skis? The more miles under your skis, the better you'll race. In how many practices for cheerleading? <laughs> how many practices? How many times do you have to do the stunts? How many times do you have to do this? How many times do you have to go through the plays for football? How many times do you have to go through the plays for basketball? And as, as we're saying, when were they ever going to learn? How many miles? How many times? How many minutes on the court? How many minutes on the track? How many miles on the skis? It's that type of thing. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, don't, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, in our life we have a great crowd of witnesses in heaven, in the book, in the scriptures. You can do this. You can make this. It doesn't matter who cut you off. 
You're in this to finish. We're in this to finish the race. It means we'd be better to get on with it. Hebrews. We'd be better to get on with it. Strip down and start running and never quit. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Strip down. Get off those weights, those things, those sins that so easily beset us. He calls them the parasitic sins. The parasitic sins. What a parasite is. It's one of those bugs that gets on you and drains everything out of you. I think the grossest one is that um, leech. The leech. The leech just reaches in there and whatever, and it just swells all up, you know. What, with what? Your own blood? It just leeches. It just swells up and takes, takes the life right out of you. And you put enough of them on you, you're in trouble. <laughs> you don't get them off. Well, parasite, parasitic sins are the things that, you know, they just kind of hang around. They just kind of hang around, and they survive off of your blood. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. And you know what? The parasites of sin can't take the blood of Jesus in. The parasites of sin, when the blood of Jesus Christ that flows through us touches our life, cleanses us, when those parasites of sin suck on that, it kills them. (laughs) It kills them. They cannot live, they cannot survive in the environment because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins. So when the parasites are there, the writer to the Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who trains us. He is the one who encourages us. He is the one who gives us strength to finish the course. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on him. He finished this course. He kept the faith. He saw it through to completion. You see, study how he did it. Study how he did it. Read the word. Read about his encounters with people who are constantly trying to cut him off, trying to get him off course. See how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Keep on going because there's an exhilarating finish. There is a time when we're going to walk into eternity and the crowd is going to break into excitement. David's here. Never thought he'd make it, but David's here. (laughs) You know? (laughs) When the Russian, was it triathlon guy with the shooting and the running, he won. He broke into the course, broke into the arena. The whole place erupted. Their man was coming in first. Every person who breaks into the finish line of heaven, there's a great exhilarating welcome from the angels of heaven and Jesus Christ himself. You've finished your course, your home for eternity. 
How did he do it? Study it. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. He would not give in. He would not give up. He knew where he was headed. And now he's there in the place of honor, alongside, right alongside God. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, I had to look that one up, flagging in your faith, for those who are race car fans, they flag, call you off the course. When you're flagging in your faith, when you're ready to throw in the towel, that's the boxing. When you are flagging in your faith, say, it's time to give up. Come on in. <laughs> it's throw in the towel. It's over. When you're flagging in your faith, go over that story again. The story of Jesus. When you're flagging in your faith and thinking it's time to give up, somebody's cut you off, you've caught a tip in, the, in your, your skiing and in the gate and your one leg goes one way and the other goes off to the side and you're tumbling down the hill and you're ready to quit and you're sitting there with your head in your hands and saying, how could have I done that? It was only a fraction of an inch and the race was over. When you're flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that Jesus plowed through. That, when you see what Jesus did, how he did it for you, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls, and you know what? I can do this. I can make it to the finish line. But you know what? Our finish line isn't today or tomorrow or next week. We don't know when we're going to get to heaven, but we want to finish this hour. We want to finish this day. We want to finish this moment in our life with our eyes focused on Jesus and the parasites of sin are going to drop off because the blood of Jesus Christ flows through your veins. And when the King of kings and Lord of lords is alive in us, it gives us strength for our day, encouragement for our course, and we're not going to flag in our faith. We're going to make it. Amen? We're going to make it. Oh. We're go if we are going to make it, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know, if we are that excited, but you see, we are excited in our soul and in our hearts. We're going to make it. Amen? Let's stand. <laughs> you know? We're going to complete the course. Yes. Father, thank you for your strength of your word, the encouragement of your word, how that you work with us, walk with us, teach us. God, you are our encouragement that we have the end in sight. Heaven is our home. You are... <laughs> there to give us the strength for our day as your day is so shall your strength be your word O god is there to encourage us in our faith and we are glad we rejoice in god our savior who makes a way for us where there is no way thank you jesus for hearing our prayer you're always with us every step of the way amen amen, amen. <laughs>
Go for the gold.